many of us spend most of our life running from who we used to be and who we're afraid we may one day be. We spend most of our life running from all the mistakes of the past, afraid that someday they will catch up to us. And rarely do we stop long enough for God to just speak the truth to us. Where you are right now is holy. God is with you in this mess and in this pain and even in all of your fears and the things you've been running from. God has not left you even now. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay because faith is not about having it all figured out and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before he'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Good morning. I wasn't sure with it being right after Thanksgiving how many of you would still be so full from turkey you weren't able to get out of bed this morning, so I'm glad you're here. And for those of you on live stream, I'm glad you can join us on live stream as well. If you have little children and did not yet hear about this, we have something new for you going forward. Um, we have some activity bags that are hanging in the back behind the coffee. And so if your kids kind of have the wiggles and you don't know how do you corral them in your pew, don't worry, we've got some stuff to try to help you. Uh, you're welcome at any point to grab one of those. There's no food in there, so you don't have to worry about allergies, but there are some activities and things to help focus your kids and um, keep them engaged in what we're doing this morning. Now, I have a confession to make, a confession that perhaps some of you share. There's a big part of me that's not actually that deep down inside that is still a little boy completely obsessed with fire. Do any of you have that same little bit inside of you? And maybe ladies, like the little girl that just loves to play with fire. There's a part of me that loves to watch things burn and not like a destructive, I just want to light the world on fire to watch it burn sort of way. That's bad. We should talk about that. But more in like a productive, I love just the mesmerizing feeling of sitting beside a fire. I find that I can have some of the deepest conversations with the fewest words when I'm sitting beside a fire. Maybe you've had that too. I believe wholeheartedly that in every one of us there is this drawing where we are drawn to a flame. I, I don't know why necessarily, but I was several years ago, maybe 10 or 11, I was talking at a, a church function. It was not really a Bible study, but sort of. They invited me to come and speak and just like talk about a habit that I was in at the time. See, I'd moved into a rough neighborhood in a small apartment, a really, really small apartment, and then I decided my small apartment was too large, so I needed a roommate, so I built a really sketchy bunk bed, and I invited a homeless man to move in with me. Fun story, good times. But what we decided in this small apartment was the best thing we could do is try to get to know our neighbors, some of whom only spoke Spanish and we did not, and some of whom only spoke curse words as they were yelling at their sports, whatever the sport they were watching, and some of whom were just odd. And so in the backyard, without asking my landlord, I had torn up his patio and I rebuilt a new patio with a built-in fire pit. And um, he wasn't angry per se, but he certainly would have wished I would have asked first. 
And we would gather around this fire pit probably four or five nights a week. Because at the time, I was young and single, and there was no time I needed to go to bed because who needed sleep? That's for when you're old, which I now am, and I love going to bed at like 9 p.m. That's perfect for me. Sometimes I want to go to bed sooner. But I built this fire pit, and we would gather around on a regular basis. And this neighborhood was a very unique uh, neighborhood. Not only did we have people who didn't speak English and people who were kind of on the rougher side of life, uh, in this neighborhood, it was literally uh, the, the house or the apartment complex I lived in was directly behind a strip club. And so if we stayed out around the fire too late, you'd see all kinds of unique characters in the parking lot and all kinds of unique interactions with people in the parking lot. It was just a rough part of town. And I decided the best thing to do is just have a fire and have it often. And so we did. And sure enough, out of that, not only did I get to know the neighbors who lived in my apartment complex really, really well, out of that sitting around a fire on a regular basis, I got to know most of the neighbors. They would come over and sit and join me. Some of the homeless neighbors would come by because for them, on cold nights, it was at least a little bit of warmth. And we would sit and eat and drink and talk. And it was spectacular. And there were times I would come home and I'd go to my backyard, and I told my friends my back door was always unlocked. I was like, come and go whenever you please. Now, as an older guy with kids, that's maybe not as smart, but at the time, I didn't see any harm in it. And so I would come home at times, and there'd be people in my apartment using my restroom or getting a drink from the fridge who I didn't know. And I'm like, what are you doing in here? They say, oh, so-and-so, who was a friend with so-and-so, told me that we were hanging out here for a fire, and I could just let myself in. Okay, well, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Let's go start the fire. It was quite a good time. So they, because of that and the way I'd gotten to know my neighbors, they wanted me to come and talk about how do we get to know our neighbors well? How do we be neighborly and good, kind people? And so I just spent an hour talking about what I love most. If you want to get to know your neighbors, start a fire. All right? So I promise you, go buy a really cheap fire pit or dig a little hole if you have a yard and start a fire and invite your neighbors to your fire and do that over and over again and eventually they will come over and you will get to know them. I, I almost guarantee it. So I spent this whole time talking about how fire just draws us in. And then near the end as we were wrapping up, we heard a loud explosion. I'm like, well, that was weird. And we finished, we wrapped up, we left the church. And sure enough, this was a large church, about 1,500 people every week in attendance. And I would say half the people were lined up by the fence over by the playground they had. And now this church was right next to an interstate. So I was like, this is odd. What's going on? And we walked over there and there was a semi right on the interstate exit ramp that had exploded. The loud noise we heard was the entire cabin on fire. Thankfully, the driver was okay. He'd gotten out before it exploded. But I just kind of chuckled. I had just spent an hour talking about how fire draws people in. And now half the church is staring at a fire, watching. It works every time. There's something in us that causes us when we see a fire to pause and say, what's happening here? And if it's a safe fire, not a house or a semi, but something maybe good, it, it causes us to stop and to slow down long enough to actually begin to experience God's presence. Today, as we dive into scripture, we see a fire that does just that that causes someone to slow down long enough to experience God's presence. We're gonna begin in Exodus chapter three. 
Exodus is the second book of the Bible. If you're following along in the Blue Bibles, it's on page 57. That's how close to the beginning it is, okay? Now, a little bit of context. In Genesis, God describes how all things came to be and how he promised to a man named Abraham that Abraham would be the father of a great nation who would be God's people, and God promised to be with them always. And at the end of Genesis, they have moved into Egypt, a foreign land, uh, because of famine. God led them there and saved them from famine, and then they began to serve Pharaoh. And as Exodus begins, we see that over time, in fact, 400 years worth of time, these people became enslaved by the Egyptians they were living with. And Moses, he had been born uh, a Hebrew, but through God's miraculous provision, he was taken into the house of the Pharaoh or the king, and he was raised as an Egyptian son, a prince of the land, and he had this dual identity, one as this child of God and also as this man in the kingdom that was oppressing the children of God. And one day Moses gets really angry, and he sees somebody oppressing his people, and so he kills him. And does the smartest thing you can do with a body you've just killed, buries it in the sand. Don't bury a body in the sand. It's a bad place for that, okay? Because what happens is the person ends up getting found eventually, or at least the story of him burying this person gets found, and Moses goes on the run. He flees. And for 40 years, he's running from his past and running from his future and running from his pain, just trying to make it on his own. He meets a woman, he gets married, life seems to be going well, and then he sees the fire in the wilderness. Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses, just like the rest of us, said, I'll turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. I imagine Moses just walking by and seeing a fire and initially going like, oh, that's not good. There's a fire here in the wilderness. Like, I should leave, and I should take my sheep, and we should go someplace safe. And he's like, wait a second. It just keeps burning huh, that sounds kind of fun. What's happening here? And I just imagine Moses like being drawn in to stop going, yeah, that is kind of nice. I like this. Moses, he's there. It says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire. Now, a little bit of Bible history for you. If you read the Old Testament, every time the angel of the Lord shows up, which is different than an angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord acts in such a way that he does only what God himself can do. He speaks as God's voice. He heals. He forgives. The angel of the Lord rescues and delivers time and time again. Most theologians believe that the angel of the Lord is not any random angel or messenger, but is actually Jesus himself before he was born. The, the son, the second part of the Trinity, before Christmas, before he came in the flesh, showed up time and time again throughout the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord. So here we have the angel of the Lord appears in a flame of fire, and the bush is not consumed. 
And Moses turns aside. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. I really love this interaction with Moses and God. Moses is unsuspecting, running from all of his past and even his future. He's just wandering in the wilderness, and he sees a fire that draws him in. And when God sees that he stops long enough to be present, God speaks and says, Moses, Moses. He calls him by name. He speaks his identity. And when he does, Moses responds, here I am. And God says, take off your sandals. The very ground you're standing on is holy. The same time that I was living in that apartment, I used to walk around barefoot all the time. I had to keep a pair of sandals in my, my car underneath my driver's seat just in case I got to a place that I forgot I wasn't wearing shoes and I needed to have shoes to go into the place. And, and I used to use this very verse as justification. I was like, well, Moses was on holy ground and wherever I go, God goes with me. So every place I step is holy, so I should be barefoot too. Now in my older age, my chiropractor has told me that's a, a poor practice. Uh, it's not good for your body apparently. But God, he speaks to Moses and he says, this very place where you are is holy, is set apart, is different than all the places you've been before, is different than the places you may be in the future. This place right here is special. I think the reason I love this story so much is many of us spend most of our life running from who we used to be and who we're afraid we may one day be. We spend most of our life running from all the mistakes of the past, afraid that someday they will catch up to us. And rarely do we stop long enough for God to just speak the truth to us. Where you are right now is holy. God is with you in this mess and in this pain and even in all of your fears and the things you've been running from. God has not left you even now. God continues, well, Moses speaks, and God continues. He says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. See, when Moses stops long enough to hear from God, God speaks and says, I am the God I've always been. The God who promised long ago before you ever got into this mess to bless you and to be your God, to make you my people. The God who's always promised to be faithful and good. I'm still that God. And Moses is afraid to look at God. I wonder if for Moses there is a sense of shame. If you're still just as good as you always have been, maybe I'm really in trouble. I wonder if for Moses there is a sense of shame. I should have trusted you this whole time, but instead I've run and done it myself. I wonder if for Moses there is not a sense of shame, but a sense of fear that comes from, I really don't deserve to be here with you. You are all powerful and almighty, and who am I to be in your presence? Either way, God speaks. And this is what he says to Moses. 
I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Moses, in his fear, in his running, in his fleeing, encounters God in an unexpected way when he wasn't looking for him, when he wasn't hoping for him, when he was trying to do his own thing and just get through life, God shows up and says, I am the God who knows all of your pain, who's seen all of your suffering and all of the oppression, and I've come to deliver you. This Christmas, as we look forward to Christmas, our sermon series is Come and See. An invitation from God himself, come in this season and all of the weariness and all of the busyness and all of the stress from family dynamics that are not healthy and all of the problems and the suffering and the affliction, come and see. See a God who's not angry, who's not distant, who's not unfaithful. See a God who instead sees our affliction, knows our oppression, and has come to deliver us. God says, I have come to deliver you. And then God continues a little further. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. See, when God invites us to come and see what he is doing, there's almost always a follow-up. Because of who he is, Because of what he's done, because of what he's still today doing, come now, I'm going to use you for something you never expected and never planned for. Through you, my work will be done. That's how the Lord does it. And as the story continues, which we're not going to read today, Moses over and over again gives excuses. God, I can't do this. I'm not qualified. I have a stutter. I have a past. I have all these things. And time and time again, Moses tries to dismiss God and say, God, I can't really be who you say I can. I can't really do what you've said I can. Who am I? And ultimately, the answer is, it doesn't matter who you are. Who is he? Who is he that has come because of our oppression and our affliction? Who is he that sees us when we're hurting and hears our cries and comes in not as a distant God waiting for it to all fix itself, but coming himself for us? Who is he in this Christmas season, in this season of Advent, looking forward, this invitation to come and see is a God who knows all of your hurts and pains and all of your weakness and vulnerabilities and failures. And he says, I am still everything you need. 
And I am still more than enough to make even this place you're in right now holy, this space you're existing in, this problems you're going through, even in this, I am. And I always will be for you and for all my people. Come and see a God who sees your pain and loves you enough to do something about it. Will you pray with me? God, you have invited us in. Into your presence that this place may be holy. God, you have invited us in to who you are. You are the God of our Father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You always have been for us, and you always will be as well. God, when we run and we hide, when we're afraid of what you may do or what you may be like, when we make excuses for who we are or who we've been, remind us today who you are. The God who sees our affliction, who knows our oppression, who hears our cries, the God who comes to be with us, to be for us, and to deliver us. Fill us with this hope today that this Christmas season may be spent focused not on our troubles or our pains or the things we hope to have, but on the God who gives all things, who meets us where we are and invites us to come and see your goodness and your faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we continue our worship this morning, we're going to continue by collecting an offering. We believe in this place that an offering is an opportunity to trust in God even with our finances and say, God, I'm not bound by what I have or what I don't have, but in all things you are good and you are faithful and will provide. And so as we collect an offering today, if you came prepared to give an offering and you'd like to do so with cash or check, you can do so in the popcorn buckets in the back corner as you exit. If you filled out one of those physical connect cards with a way we can be praying for you, with a way we can contact you to connect in this season and and care for you through whatever you're going through, if you have one of those physical cards and you'd like to drop that in the bucket as well, you can. And if you came prepared today to give a gift online, you prefer to do that, you can do so at thepointknox.com by clicking the little teal button in the bottom corner. However you give and whatever you give, know this. We don't give to get God's love, but because we already have it. Thank you. Well, before we get to your questions this morning, uh, quick announcement for you and also invitation. If you are here today and would like somebody to be praying with you today, not over the week or later, but you're going through some pain or sorrow or suffering or even something really good you want to celebrate and you don't want to do that alone. I want to briefly introduce you to two people, Lori and Calvin. We kind of wave or stand up. These two over here, uh, they are going to this Sunday and going forward be available after church on Sundays. If you would like someone to pray with you, they'll be right over here and they would gladly pray with you uh, and whatever you share, they'll keep confidential. And also, uh, if you're somebody who really likes to pray for others regularly, which should be all of us, let's be honest, but not everyone is, is yet confident in that, 
uh, we'd love for you to join us in um, being a part of this prayer team. So when we're done here in a few minutes, right over here, if you'd like some prayer, they would love to be praying with you. All right. What questions came in today? Just two. Can you hear me? Oh, I'm, I, this is still new to me. <laughs> if you don't know, this is Blake. Blake's oh, yeah, really good on the keys and the accordion, but uh, always uncomfortable on the mic, and we love him. Thank you, Blake. Thanks. If you don't know this about me, if you're uncomfortable with something, I love to put you in that spot. He'll make, he'll make you uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> um, so with two questions, uh, first one is, why are Advent candles purple? Why are the candles purple? Purple is a color historically for royalty. And so we remember that this light of the world, the king who's coming, is truly a king. And so part of the the, um, color there is to remember that. And you may say, well, how come one is pink and one is white? Um, The pink one is for joy, and pink is a color of joy historically. And it reminds us that even in the midst of our sinfulness and a king who's coming to redeem us, we should pause to celebrate uh, even in our brokenness, we should be filled with excitement and joy. And the white is ultimately because Christ, the one who is coming, is pure and holy and undefiled by any sin. And as he's promised, uh, all of our sin will be made white as snow, pure and holy, and we will be unlike we are today through him. So. Cool. Second question is, where has Adam Warren family been? We miss them. Where has the Moore family been? We miss them. Well, if you have their phone numbers or email addresses, please feel free to reach out. Uh, For those of you who weren't here a few weeks ago, Adam shared, well, I shared on his behalf that due to the busyness and the exhaustion of the, the seminary program he was in, He was stepping away from that program to be able to spend more time um, as a dad and as a husband faithful to his kids and his family. And so in this season, they have been trying to uh, spiritually and emotionally and mentally rest and also physically rest. If you did not know this, Adam had some major shoulder surgery about a week or week and a half ago. And so he's physically recovering as they're also emotionally just resting from the exhaustion they were under. And so be praying for the Moore family. If you have their number or email, reach out and say, hey, we love you. We hope you're, you're doing well. Is there any way we can help? And uh, maybe they'll join us again in the future once they get that rest. Surely, yeah. We had one more, uh, not a question, but more of a reminder, announcement, good info. So all things Christmas, like Advent and Christmas Eve, signing up for the market, um, all those are on the point knocks at the teal icon labeled Christmas at the point. So if you're looking for more info on those, uh, see thepointknocks.com. Cool. Now I have to tell you this Merrymakers market that's coming up next Saturday, this upcoming Saturday, so in six days. There is not an event that we have done at the point in my five and a half years here that I've been more excited for. I really, really think this is going to be a lot of fun and a great opportunity to bless the artists who are in our West Fist studios and the other artists who signed up to have a booth and the community that comes in. And I am fully confident from the plans they've shown me, it's going to be over the top and exciting and absolutely wonderful. So if you have even the slightest bit of free time next week, Saturday, and would like to come by and experience it, come and join us or sign up to serve. Uh, One of the simplest ways you can serve is we're providing drinks to those who come. And so you can um, hand out some drinks. Another simple way you can serve is we have really, really awesome games like spoiler alert. There is a life-size Buddy the Elf operation where you can remove candy cane and candy syrup and and candy corn and all these things from Buddy the Elf. So 
being somebody who can help out with the games uh, to make those go smooth would be awesome. Um, there's also opportunities to decorate. Even today, we're going to decorate the sanctuary in here. So stick around here in a few minutes and join us for decorating. We'll put all kids and all adults, everybody of all ages to work if you want to be here. Um, also, this Wednesday night, all things Advent, this Wednesday night, we're going to gather in here at 6.30 for a Wednesday night Advent service, a time to slow down and pause and reflect on what it means that Christ is coming. And, and with that, this first Advent service, we're going to do um, a little bit more time of singing and praise uh, and scripture. So if that's something you would really like to reflect on, join us Wednesday. Is that it? It's going to be a blast. Yep, that was it. Awesome. Well, as you go, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. 